0: Thank you, Pastor Doug. Thanks, Pastor Doug, and the youth last week uh, for stepping in while I was in Kentucky, so very grateful for them, and they they did a great job last week. So thank you, Wade, for sharing uh, along with Pastor Doug. Uh, If you have your Bibles, um, we've been in this series called uh, Kingdom People, and um, one of the reasons we've done it is obviously there's a lot of division In our country, we're focused on elections and all of that fun stuff, and uh, thinking about our country with just everything going on. And one of the things that I think is really important for us as a church is to focus even more so on what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be. And and Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God, and we are called to be God's people and a part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus came saying, "Uh, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But we really know very little about what the kingdom of God is about. And so, earlier on in July, I said, we're going we're to spend at least just three weeks here talking a little bit about the kingdom of God. And um, so, a few weeks ago, we spoke about how, what the kingdom of God is, um, and then before, who belongs to the kingdom of God. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about what the kingdom of God does. It's kind of a drive-by, but it's a, a pretty, it's a, this is a pretty familiar passage here. I think for many of you, um, if not because you you haven't read it in the Bible, but if you grew up in your history class when it came to kind of Civil War time, you're probably familiar with some of President Lincoln's speeches in which he quotes uh, uh, this passage that I'm going to read to you today. So I want us to read it, and I'll talk about this a little bit. I want us to read it in the context of the church, the way the church would have read it here. And so, if you got your Bibles, Matthew twelve verses twenty two through twenty eight. I'm going to read this for you, uh, and then we're going to see what I think this means for us as the church. It says then a demon possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. They're talking about this demon possessed man who's blind and mute. They're brought to Jesus. That's who him is here. And he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, "Can this be the son of David?" But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons, by your sons cast them out. Therefore, they will be your judges." But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In Scott McKnight's book, Kingdom Conspiracy, he kind of pits two different people against each other. Um, he has what we would call here, or what he calls the pleated pants Christians and the skinny jean Christians. And these are kind of who he pits against each other. And he says the pleated pants Christians are, are basically people who kind of see the kingdom of God as the general rule of God to bring some to salvation and cultural transformation kind of through that. And so the pleated pants Christians kind of may think of them as kind of maybe like old school, conservative, suit wearing Christians, Right? Um, and that see the kingdom of God, kind of, it's interesting, right? It's, it's brought about typically kind of through personal conversion, which is a good thing, and then cultural transformation, maybe through politics or, or just kind of through God reigning and rolling out through the entire earth. So they have a strong view of God's sovereignty, but when you kind of push them on what the kingdom of God actually is, it's kind of everywhere, but not really everywhere at the same time, and there's, there's just a little bit of ambiguity there, and so he just calls these people the pleated pants Christians. So it's 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 the general rule of God and work and creation. And then he says there are the skinny jean Christians. The skinny jean Christians, their focus is primarily basically on just kind of doing good deeds, like righting wrongs. And so conversion, uh, maybe the community of God itself is not as important to them. What is really important to them? Is helping the poor and the oppressed, and so McKnight he he defines skinny jean Christians this way. He says kingdom means go back. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll touch down here. We're we're working this out here. We're getting used to the TV. So down here, move forward. Up here, I'm good. All right. Okay. So it's all new. It's all new. So. Skinny jean Christians, kingdom means good deeds, basically to them. That's what the kingdom of God means good deeds done by good people. Christians are not. So it doesn't even have, you don't have to be a Christian, right? In the public sector for the common good. So basically, just doing good, whatever that might be. And, you know, that's kind of what they are saying the, the kingdom is. And so that's kind of their definition of the kingdom. Uh, if you were. But to th- this morning, I, I kind of want to focus more so, I've told you, on kind of what the kingdom does. And so I think we can probably characterize pleated pants Christians and skinny jean Christians by what they do kind of in these categories here. So pleated pants Christians are kind of known for evangelism right? We just, we just need to tell them about Jesus, right? We need to get them saved here. That's kind of, this is where kind of the pleated pants Christians are, or liberation from the devil, right? We need to move people from the realm of the devil to, to God's kingdom and so forth. And then you have the skinny jean Christians, right? What, what Jesus really wants us to do and focus on our good works, doing good deeds, that's, that's really what we should be about. That's really what the kingdom of God is about. And further, right, liberation from unjust systems. So you might think like social justice would be a part of that. And so, and if you've grown up in a, a like I have, right, you've different parts of your life, right? So like for me, kind of growing up, right, pleated pants Christians to a certain extent, Go off to college, read a couple books. All of a sudden, I'm a skinny jean Christian for a little while. But as I kind of continue to pastor and read and try to figure out, like, what does God want for us? I grow more and more uncomfortable with this divide. I, I, I just do, and I believe that Jesus would want us to be uncomfortable with this divide. Now I know there's some characterizations there, and some of these this is kind of a straw man a little bit here, but. But just follow me here. Like, I just don't think like this is the best divide that we should have if you kind of fall into one of these two categories. And, and Jesus, I don't think he would be pleased with this either if we were divided in this way. Verse 25, basically where it says that every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. It's basically Jesus making it very clear that any internal conflict— Within a country, town, family, or church, a congregation like ours, or just the church at large, will tear it apart. It'll tear it apart. It goes on to say that it basically it'll be laid waste. The idea there being laid waste, the image for the people reading this would have been like a desert. Okay, it would have been a dry land, it would have been a wilderness. Um, and so that's kind of the image here that we are given. And I want us here, I want us to look at this passage and look at this verse in the context, too, of the people who would have read it. This is really important for us because I pointed this out, right? You, you know verse 25, not just from the Bible, but you know it from history class. Or most of you probably do. And so what we do often with this passage is we kind of Americanize it. And it's not that the general principle that, Abraham Lincoln used this for was wrong. He was completely right in using it, and he was a masterful speech giver and writer and a very principled man, and I love much of his speeches and what he stood for. However, if you go back to the first century, the people reading this aren't reading this as Romans, right? So they're reading this as Christians. They're reading this in the context of the church. And so it's not that I don't think you should read this as an American, but I think you should read this first as a Christian. And so we're gonna dig into this. What does this mean as a Christian when we, we read this? Because Jesus is writing this to the church. Because I do not want us to be in the desert as a congregation or as the church at large. And so here's a, here's a question for us to answer as we think about pleated, pleated plant, plant, plants. Ugh, say that 10 times fast. And skinny jeans. What kind of pants should kingdom people wear? Right. Well, what do I have on? Stretchy pants. No. <laughs> I can't fit into skinny jeans, and I don't wear pleated, plant, pleated pants very often. you got to do, like, straight leg, I guess. But I, I think the, my point is, is that the type of pants we should wear are different pants altogether. You just need to wear pants. If you're at home or if you just started coming, right, you may not be wearing pants. But Christians should wear pants most of the time. right? But not the kind of pants here that divide us. So, so to, to kind of look at this further, first off, I just want us to return, I want us to return to what I believe Jesus teaches and the scriptures teach what the kingdom of God is or who God's kingdom people are. So this will kind of help us moving forward here. And here's what we said a couple of weeks ago. What is the kingdom of God? It's the people of God. It's the people ruled by God who have been appointed, who have appointed Jesus as king. In other words, it's people, it's the people of God who have received Jesus as Savior, declared him as king, and worship him as such, and come together to do that. So it is the visible church. It is the church where we it is in this church that we actually see the kingdom at work. And so the, my, my opinion here and what I believe the Scriptures teaches is that the pleated pants get it wrong because it's kind of not God's general rule everywhere and anywhere, but it, we actually see it in the church. The church is called to be the kingdom of God first and foremost. And skinny jeans get it wrong because it's just kind of anywhere and everywhere and wherever good works are done. My challenge for us this morning is for us... <laughs> For us to be stretched a little bit by these two dichotomies here and by these two two, kind of what I would say almost, they don't have to be opposing views, but what seem like opposing views and what seem to divide Christian culture at this time. And so here's just something I want to tell you is it's not evangelism against good works. It's not one or the other. As Christians and as the church, we care about both. We care about both, and we do both. And so we evangelize. We want people to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ so that they will, in turn, serve the Lord and do good works, so that they will do good. We do good works so that we will have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus so that they will come to Jesus. And we do good works because we love our neighbors. Christ has called us to be those types of people. So good works is an opportunity to be like Christ and to share Christ. Evangelism is an opportunity to transform somebody's heart and mind so that they will become like Christ. And verse 22 what we clearly see is that a blind and mute man is brought to Jesus. So this blind and mute man is brought to Jesus, and what does Jesus do? Jesus heals him. Jesus heals him. So, right, so if you are part of the skinny gene crowd or know somebody, right, who is part of the skinny gene crowd, this would make them really happy. And if they're reading this text, they're going to point this out and say, see, look, look at what Jesus did. He healed people who were hurting and who were in trouble, and maybe even who were, was poor or couldn't work or do whatever. The text actually even says, all the people were amazed. But what we see here is what this does is it then opens up the crowd to Jesus. What does the crowd respond to after Jesus heals this man who is deaf and mute? Here's what they say. says, so, can this man be the son of David? In other words, is this the Messiah? Is this the King? Is this the Savior? And so if you're part of the pleated pants crowd, you would say, see, look, this text points at Jesus being the Messiah, Jesus being the Savior. He's the one everybody needs. Uh, Danny Lopez, in my opinion, we prayed for him this morning and his ministry he is one of the best practitioners of all of this I have, I have ever seen. Uh, Danny is a missionary in Guatemala. He was a youth minister uh, at a sister church of ours in um, Alabama when I was down there. So that's how I became friends with Danny. And he felt a call to, to go to Guatemala and go into missions. And began to work basically with the poor, the down and out, which is a large uh, uh, segment of the Guatemalan population there. And so I was actually took one of, actually it was, it was the first mission group that he had ever had. We went down there and started to work with him. And I just fell in love with what he was doing and what he does with, with groups. Because what Danny does often when you go down there, what he'll do is he'll take you to homes of the poor that you'll actually build or repair or, or do different things um you'll go and with to daycares uh, a lot of them with special needs children or just really poor children and you're helping the workers and giving them breaks and doing whatever you can to just just kind of help while you're there he's got a ministry for food and so you can adopt families and then also um he opens up basically uh his house and area uh I, yeah, it's not like a compound, ministry complex. And every so often uh, during the week, just these tons of kids come in and they just feed all of these kids. And often there's a Bible lesson and all of that that goes with it. Danny is always, like he's, he's always stretching groups when they come down because depending on kind of your personality and who you are and what, how you think about all of this will work. Danny, will, he's, he's just gonna kind of push you to the limit because if you're a person who would rather share or talk or whatever, Danny is going to make you work with your hands. He's going to make you serve. And if you're a person who's like, I'm just going to go down there and I'm just going to serve. I'm just going to do good works or whatever. The next moment, Danny will make you share with those people why you're doing it. So he's going to make you talk about Jesus with the people that you are serving. I want to show you here um, some people we visited a couple of years ago, the first time I took a group from our church to Guatemala. Unfortunately, I forgot their names, but this, this is the mom here. Uh, we came into this house in this area uh, to basically build what would be uh, a front kind of fence wall to her little area where they live, and um, then put some doors. We put these doors on right here to her living spaces, and so there's a wall out here and then it, that we did, and then we did the doors as well. The mom uh, was HIV positive. Her husband had died a couple years before this of AIDS, and so she was continuing to go back and forth a lot from the hospital. And while she went back and forth from the hospital, the kids had to be left at the house because the kids are not allowed in the hospital. And so sometimes the kids would even go days at a time or for long periods of time at the house alone. Unfortunately, there was nothing to guard the kids from the people in the neighborhood, and so the daughter. Um, was actually being abused by men who would come by. And so we put these walls up and these doors in to keep the daughter safe. And so we do all of that. After doing all of that, though, Danny made sure that we didn't leave without sharing the gospel with this lady. This lady was not a Christian. Her family was not following Christ and did not know about Jesus. And so we all took some time sharing the gospel. And then Danny... <laughs> Uh, being able to speak Spanish helps. Um, but you have to realize they're, they're, they're very poor. They're, they don't have great education either. Danny gets out his Bible, and he begins to go through Roman's road, and he's like drawing in the dirt, and he's drawing pictures. And in my mind, I just, I thought like, man, you think about Jesus when he begins to draw in the dirt with the lady who committed adultery, and you just wonder what Jesus is Doing there, and you think, like, is Jesus was Jesus drawing in the dirt for this reason, right? Because maybe he was wanted the adulteress also to read what he was doing and see what he was doing. He probably wasn't very well educated. So he's he's trying to explain the gospel by reading her the Bible, speaking to her, and then drawing these pictures. And then we left. And some of you have heard the story, but you wonder, you wonder like and he tells her, by the way, hey, there's a church down the road that I'm affiliated with. I want you to go to this church. Um, I hope that you will go and get connected. But you leave a place like that and you wonder, like, okay, she said she accepted Christ. She wanted to follow Jesus. But we also just gave her some food. We also just did all of this for her family. Like, is she just saying that to be nice? Right? Is she just saying that because she she you know, wants us to leave, right? We've done our work now, let's go. Well, we visited her uh, last time we went here and we got to hear from her and she was doing fairly well. You could actually see some of the HIV was taking its toll on on her face and some other things, but her daughter is growing and healthy and so is her son for the most part. And they said she reminded us that she received Christ when we were there and that she's been attending the church down the road and they've been helping take care of her ever since that point in time. You know, that's a wonderful thing. It, it's not an either or, it's a both and. We're getting people in the church and we need to be clear about that and I, I think our church has grown in this area, continues to grow in this area and we're serious about this. When you think about Joanne's Pantry, I love going down to Joanne's Pantry and watching them give out food and serve and as people need prayer, they are, are praying with people. I think of the Breckmarkers in our church and their ministry and the way that they go about this in their own lives. They live it each and every day themselves. This is is who we are. This is who we are supposed to be. So it's not evangelism against good works. It's evangelism and good works. Now what about this other category here? Liberation from the devil versus liberation from unjust systems here. Now As we go through this, I'm going to ask you to put your stretchy pants on a little bit here, right? This is going to stretch people. Part of this kind of goes into the good works in evangelism. It's similar here, especially when we talk about liberation from the devil, right? Kingdom people, let me just tell you this. Kingdom people, church people, are people who take the devil seriously and evil seriously, and we take social corruption seriously. We can be a both and. We see in the text here, as they bring this person to Jesus, that it's clear that Jesus actually cast out a demon. That's that's what he does. If you read through the book of Matthew, through Mark, through Luke, if you read about Jesus's ministry, there are, are, are spiritual realities that Jesus takes really seriously. There's the demonic that Jesus engages with on a regular basis. And we can't ignore that as Christians. You just can't gloss over that. Right? There are spiritual battles. And it's not the spiritual against the naturalistic. Like, it, it's, it's a both and. and so uh, I, I'm going to read through a lot of kind of the la- rest of this message here just because I want to be clear about kind of what I'm saying here. Well, at, at the same time, Jesus seems like <laughs> what, while this is going on as well, we see here that Jesus is he- healing the spiritual. He's, he's there. While at the same time, you see basically Jesus then coming after or correcting what would be seen as basically a religious social elite group, the Pharisees, who have created systems outside of God's plans for his people and generally that generally just people were unable to live up to. So Jesus is saying, yes, there are spiritual realities, while at the same time he's trying to correct the Pharisees who have kind of control over the religious community here and are trying to get people to be people that they are really even unable to be and do things that they are unable to do if they are going to be loved by God. They're setting up impossible standards for people. And these people don't want to hear that they need Jesus too. The Pharisees really didn't want to hear that they needed Jesus, that they needed God's grace. They just wanted to know that they're good. We're even going to do them in God's name, and we want you to see how good we are. Jesus challenged those people as well. Now, so Jesus clearly wants us to seek liberation from the devil. We have to take that seriously. While at the same time, right? Uh, let me come back here to this. Liberation from the devil. Just make it clear. Evangelism. Churches must do this. We need to from, from the devil, sin is real. Sin is real. Christ died to redeem us from sin. He died so that we would move from darkness to light. Our king died shouldering our sin and our shame and our burdens and removing the debt that we owe to God we are told that there are cosmic dimensions to this. And Jesus delivers us from the grasp of the evil one. So it, when you see Jesus, by the way, in the wilderness and the devil tempting him, what Jesus is doing by coming back at him with the word of God and engaging with the devil there is he's discrediting the, the devil. Not only does he discredit the devil there, but on the cross, he discredits the work of the devil. The work of the devil will always bring death and it will always bring Destruction, And we are free from that when we trust in Christ. Now, the people who downplay this, the skinny jean crowd, right? I was there once. I get it, right? We need to remember, or you need to remember, that when Christians evangelize, they are bringing the good news of salvation, and they are doing what no one else can do, working to change people's eternal destinies. So I would just say, right, the pleated pants crowd, they're right about that. (laughs) They're right. We can't ignore it. So what about liberation from unjust systems here or systematic evil, whatever it may be? We'll call it even just social justice. Now follow me here. We're gonna go to the text to look at some of this. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. It's Paul writing to the Colossians church. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of, the fle- of your flesh, excuse me, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. So here, Right here, we have everybody, just as the pleated pants side would say, everybody who is now, who was dead in sin is now made alive to Christ. And this is the the language here of liberation from death to life, from the devil to God here. And then he goes on to say, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And so at the cross, Jesus has disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to shame. Now, I believe that this has double meaning or a lot of implications for us as Christians. One is very clear, that Christ has triumphed cosmically, spiritually, that the devil has no hold on believers, that Christ is king above all, no questions asked here. But as we look at disarming rulers and authorities and continuing there, I also believe that it shows our freedom as followers of Christ to stand against systems of oppression and injustice. You can, is what we're telling, is what I believe, triumph over rulers and authorities. The Roman government was bent to destroy Christians. And laws that disfavored them and oppressed them were made by the Romans. Paul here says they, however, are free from having to apply the devilish laws and current cultural norms to their life at that time. Even in death, Christ is victorious, so we have nothing ultimately to lose. When they, <laughs> those Christians had nothing to lose when they pushed back against Roman oppressions or call out cultural wrongs. So, this freed people to be socially different and live just lives. So, are Christians concerned about social justice? The answer to that is yes. They are free, now follow me here, I'll redefine social justice, moving on down for this. Some of you go, hold on. Yes, they are free to be God's people above all else as long as they don't use their freedom to sin. We are driven as followers of Christ by the call of our King and our love for God and not our need to be loved by the world or to please the current culture in any way. So, here's how I think we should understand social justice as the church. We should first and foremost understand it in this way. First and foremost, it belongs to Christians and for Christians. We should keep it, we should start in the church, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. We take social corruption seriously, but it begins here. It begins in our community. It begins with God's people. It begins with God's people. The church is the primary place we see the kingdom of God. So it's where we must start. The church should be a picture of people who are liberated from unjust systems by King Jesus. So we have an opportunity to love, and it should be shown to every person in our church. And we must do our best and our church to operate as people who are liberating others and are disarming rulers and authorities that are doing evil deeds as defined by our King, as we read about in the scriptures. This means that as the body of Christ, we are people who are trying to define justice through the teachings of Jesus and the work of the apostles given in the Bible. Justice is defined by our just God, and not by the world, and not by current cultures. I will admit, as a pastor, as somebody trying to navigate everything going on in the world right now, and having even conversations with other pastors, that this is really tricky, and it's really messy. And there are times where we don't agree but this work needs to be done in the church. So I'm just gonna, this morning, I'm gonna just start out on it with just a few areas that I think we should generally agree on in our own congregation and almost every congregation everywhere. Right? So as we look at our church, we are a community as the people of God, as kingdom people that strives not to be divided by class. In the church, when we look around, We should see people participating in the life of the church who both who have resources and those who have very little. We should see the wealthy and the poor in our church. Our world tries to divide divide the classes and pit them against each other. In the church, we should be bringing these people together. Why? Because we care about the poor and we're not going to demonize the rich for being rich unless... (laughs) The the Bible does this unless the rich are taking advantage of the poor or holding back what belongs to them. Read the book of James, right? Read Proverbs. Proverbs talks about the rich and the poor uh, about all of this. Talks about the rich not taking advantage of the poor and the poor working hard. Both of those are there. So, as a matter of application, right, if you are a a Christian and you're a business owner or you employ people or you help set people's wages or salaries, whatever that might be, you really should think about what is a good working wage? What can people live off of? What can people use to thrive and not have to remain maybe poor? While at the same time, any Christian who is a follower of Christ, who is in the working class, or who is among the working poor, whatever that might be, we are called to work hard and to show ourselves approved by God and to our employers. That is our job as Christians. One of the interesting things that really bothered me, I, I discovered this last year. I was reading a couple different things, and one of them was a book called Alienated America, and so I started reading a little bit more about it. And I don't have all of this figured out, but what sociologists are starting to point out and, and people who are studying the church, what they're starting to point out is the predominantly white church is losing the white working class. Those who have typically been a part of the white working class or even a kind of lower class or the working poor, um, churches like ours, those types of people um, are generally not coming to church in the, in the ways that they used to come to church. And what's interesting is churches like ours, we often actually point to the university-educated people. Like, they're the ones not coming to church. They're going off to the university, and they're not coming back to church, or, or whatever that might be the case. Right? We're losing both. And in fact, we're losing the white working class at a higher rate than we are at those who are going off to college and getting an education. The ones who are going off to college and getting the education are actually, a lot of them are still coming to church. Not all of them, but that's what our churches more and more are made up of. And so uh, I'm not, I don't have a lot of solutions to this and I don't know all the reasons for this. But what's interesting is that the black church and the Hispanic church, right, if you want to kind of categorize us in those ways, they're not dealing with it. And so you, you wonder why, like what can we do to make sure that we as a church care about the working class, care about the poor and are showing that and that are bringing people together? Are we providing opportunities in our church for those who have resources to help people Right, rise up. I get emails from some of, uh, there's a guy here who sends me emails occasionally. A lot of times I can't help him. Unfortunately, he was in super, a supervisor position asking, hey, are there even people in a church that can do this or can do this or need a job? That's a wonderful way for that sort of thing to happen. And, and I see people in our church teaching them how to work or give them responsibility. All of that is very good. Either way, that's a troubling statistic if we see Uh, that, that we're seeing and the trend that we're seeing. And we need to be careful because we as a church, as kingdom people, we do need to be a place where the white collar and the blue collar come together to worship King Jesus here. That's what it means to be about the kingdom of God. Here's another category. We are a community that strives not to be divided by race or ethnicity. We do not want to be divided by race or by ethnicity. Now, Unfortunately, this is just too often the case, right? I, let's be honest. We are a predominantly white class, or church. We are. And I can't snap my fingers, and I'm not going to change that. And I don't think you all are racist. Like, I don't think that's the reason why. There are a lot of reasons that play into this, right? And so I'm not going to browbeat you uh, uh, about racism right now. We need to be very careful that we watch our hearts, our actions, and our deeds with it. And in the church, we need to be able to have conversations, especially with Christian brothers and sisters who have darker skin than us, about the things that are going on in the world, about the troubles that they have that we might not have, or about the actual solutions that are good ideas and bad ideas. And this is becoming very difficult, right? It's just screaming matches right now. If you look at the culture, get on Facebook or whatever that might be. This is why I think it's important that I stay in close contact with Brendan over at Span Ministries, and we have people in our church who are staying in close contact with our friends over there, and so forth, and and trying to work through this. The church cannot be a place that is defined or split by these these barriers that shouldn't even be barriers, but let's be honest, right? Historically, we, we, we just haven't done a good job with this. And I think this is why a lot of this exists. We just didn't do a good job when we should have. And so we need to make sure that we are careful about it and we do a good job now. Last thing here, I just want to point out there's more than all of this, but we are a community that isn't divided by age. We want to be careful not to be a community that's divided by age. The world does this as well, culture does this as well the young and the old have a place in our church. The young should be given opportunities to share their faith and to show their faith and allow their faith to be put into action, and we should allow them to even make mistakes. That is okay. It's okay for them to make mistakes. Those who are older in our congregation should be respected, they should be honored, and they should be heard. I'm not sure we've done a good job of all of that in the past, but this is who we should be. This is who Christ has called us to be. We should not be divided in this way. So as I say all of this, just a reminder here that we should seek first to be just in the church first. And we should do this for a number of reasons as kingdom people. One is I'm kind of an idealist here. I believe that this is largely attainable in the church. I just believe it is, right? Jesus, at the end of this, he says, if the Spirit of God has come upon me, right, the kingdom of God is there, the Spirit of God is here, it's among God's people, I really think that this do it perfectly. I will promise you that. But we can. And if we can't attain it inside of the church, how do we expect people to attain it outside of the church? How? If we can't do it here, how can people do it out there? Kind of leads me to the second reason why I think we have to do it in the church is that people out there are scoffing at the church often. Sometimes they see us just that you guys should do this, you should do that, you should be that, right? We want our government to be like this or we want our people to be like that. And then they look at the church and go, why are you yelling at us? You, You can't even do it. If we want people to change, they need to see it in us. They need to see it in kingdom people. So pursuing social justice in these ways, it begins in the church. And then when the church gets it right, then we can fight back. And we should against evil among its people and among the country. Like we should be outraged that the speaker of our house in the state essentially stole billions of of money from our taxpayers and pocketed millions. Like, we should be upset about that. As Ohioans, as Americans, as Christians, it is okay to be upset about that. But when we get it right in the church, it gives us more credibility. It gives us more credibility to talk about race when when we are in dialogue with people of different races than us, especially our brothers and sisters of Christ. When we attend churches where people aren't in the same economic class, where they're not all just like us as far as how much money they have in, the pocket, in their pocket or how big of house, their houses are or whatever it may be. <laughs> when we attend church, we're not everybody is in the same socioeconomic class, right? It helps us to understand the different challenges that people face and thinking about how certain social policies affect our brothers and sisters who are trying to rise out of poverty. When we show care for the young and we honor the elderly, and we love everybody in between, right? We are kingdom people who are trying to show people a better way, a way in which we are not divided by race, by class, or by age. You see, a divided kingdom cannot stand, and living out the kingdom of God is about redeeming all that binds us and shackles us from death and corruption, Jesus ends with this idea here in the statement, or I stopped here with this statement as Jesus is speaking to the people. He says, then the kingdom of God has come among you. Jesus' words ring true as he says, then the kingdom of God comes among you when we get this right. The kingdom is among us when we are stretching ourselves to be the church and trying to seek redemption in all walks of life. The kingdom is among us when we are loving God and loving each other and loving our neighbors as ourselves. The kingdom is among us when we take seriously people's spiritual needs and deliverance from the work of the evil one. Jesus said, the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that everyone might have a life and have it to the full. And a full life is liberated from the devil to do as much good work as they possibly can. Therefore, we are people who are called to heal in Jesus's name. The kingdom of God is among us when we try to heal each other by loving those who are not in hurts, and by supporting those who are down and out. The kingdom of God is among us when we try to ra- reconcile the racial wounds of the past and the present. The kingdom of God is not about picking size. It's not about wearing pleated pants. Pa- I can't even say it. <laughs> pleated pants or skinny jeans, right? Kingdom people are about the business of our king who came to save souls And heal the sick and help the poor. Kingdom people come together to try to get this right. And when we do this, we will see that the kingdom of God has come among us. Let us pray. Father, we pray. We pray that we would prove to be your people that we would be kingdom people, that we believe that people do need their souls saved. We thank you for the way that you have saved ours. I pray, Father, that if there is anybody here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, who does not know you as King, that they would come to know you as King. There's nothing greater in life than knowing you as King, than knowing you as Saviors, knowing that, you, that, that we have been delivered from sin, that we have been li- delivered from Satan, that we have been, de- been delivered from our guilt and our shame. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing more freeing than that. There's nothing to be more thankful for than to give thanks for that. And Father, we come to you as kingdom people as being freed from our sin and shame to not have to participate in anything that brings sin or shame in other people's lives or corruption in other people's lives. So we pray that we would be people, Father, that would do as much good as possible as you define it as good. We pray that we would be just people because you are a just God. We pray that we would be courageous enough to believe that you are king and do what our king would have us to do in whichever situation that would be before us. So we act, we pray that we act as people who have been sent out by the king to do the king's work. I pray, Father, that we would get rid of silly divisions that we have in the church sometimes, whether they're class or race or age or whatever. There are so many Father, ways that we can divide. And so I pray that you would protect us from all of those sorts of things and be reminded that a kingdom divided against itself cannot and will not stand. So we pray by your spirit, by the kingdom of God, by the spirit of God, that you would help us to be the kingdom people, your church. We thank you that we are able to have this time together right now. We thank you for those who are watching and who are a part of our church and who are unable to be here. We pray that we would take these words spoken, that we would think about the text before us and how you would have us to change our deeds or our thinking or even the way we go about our church. We love you, and we thank you, and we praise our King Jesus. Amen.